You're listening to The Running Public. From marathoners to mud runners, we all have the same goal. Get to the finish line faster. That's right. This podcast is for you guys, The Running Public. Mark and I had a chance to see each other and catch up two weeks ago-ish in SoCal. It was really nice to see you there and catch up. And Bracken doesn't know why I want to talk to you today actually. So, I mean, I'm sure you could figure it out, Bracken, but we were talking, Mark, um, I don't know, we were kind of warming up. We chatted both days and you'd said a few things. I was like, Mark, we need to record this. We need to talk about this. Cause I, <laughs> well, cause I had asked you, first of all, you were like with the kids race and you were like the leader of the kids race and teach, showing the kids through the warm up and being like such a good disciple of like the, like the children's or leader of the children's sort of aspect of Spartan race and Spartan kids. And then um, I'd ask you, well, Mark, you missed WTM due to, I mean, you were urinating blood and you had to miss the biggest event of your year. And and then we had gotten to a conversation about trials and tribulations and all of it. And I was like, man, we, got, we just got to talk about this stuff. So it was like we interviewed you, Mark, what was it two years ago, year and a half ago? And we haven't something like that. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. So I wanted to get caught up on all of that and actually talk about like. I don't know why it didn't get more like attention or maybe it didn't. I missed it, but you're the the record holder in distance at WTM, the defending champion. You can come back because you're dealing with something that I think people can learn from for one. Um, and then two, I think it just provided some really good insight you didn't have beforehand. And so I figured we could get caught up. Yeah. Um, just like going over WTM and my health and all that kind of stuff. Um, you know, everything's like better. So that's good. <laughs> I haven't urinated blood since uh, October 25th. So that's that's been great. Um, I, I think the last time I did it, it was pretty it was pretty bad, too, where it was like, whoa, that looks that looks gnarly. <laughs> mm. um, I did like I did mile repeats. It was like six by one mile repeats, like sub five minute pace. And I was like, oh, this looks terrible. And I, my body was feeling like garbage because like. When you go into a, a speed workout, usually like you do the speed workout and you don't feel bad till like after the speed workout. I was feeling bad during the speed workout. Like I already felt my body was getting sore as I was running. And I was like, this is such a weird feeling. Like, I never had this before. And then I got into the last repeat and I started going and I'm like, man, like my legs feel like bricks. Like I never had this much soreness like going into the last repeat before. And I was like, oh, I don't know what's going on. And then all of a sudden it was like, again, it happened again. And I was like, okay, this is just kind of a thing now. And, you know, I, I talked to my, my doctors about it and they were pretty uh, puzzled as to what it was. They thought it was a, um, a kidney disease. Um, it was IgA. And I looked at the results of my urine test and like kind of like what like my protein levels and all that stuff and i was like my my i don't have any protein in the urine and i don't have urine constantly so it's like when i don't run um it's fine so i have no protein or urine uh uh, uh blood so in the end i was like this doesn't seem like it tracks in that direction and uh i ended up going to one of my uh running books uh, and that my most like, uh, like scientific and like comprehensive running book that I have. And I was like, 
I wonder if it has something in there. And I went and I looked it up in the, in the, in the glossary. And in fact, it did have something uh, uh, about hematuria. And I was like, Hey, like, uh, according to this study, like it was like, you know, ingestion of certain minerals causing the blood and urine and it, with high level athletes. So I was like, well, it's not a great study, but <laughs> it's, it, it might be something that I, I I'm experiencing right now. So I stopped taking all my vitamins, all my minerals, everything, just threw down everything and said, okay, I'm just cleaning out the cabinet and not taking anything and haven't had a problem since. So I'm, wow. I'm thinking that it was just a, uh, a situation where it's kind of like you have a sponge, like, you know, like your kidneys are a sponge and like, you know, sometimes you clean up grease and then like it gets all clogged up and then um, kind of causing that causing my hematuria. So, um, yeah, it's just kind of unfortunate and, you know, kind of something I was really scared about because IGA is, um, kind of something serious, um, depending on how it goes and how, 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 how that, um, how that disease progresses. Um, it is kind of what I was telling Kirk at, at SoCal was that, um, you know, what we do out here in the races there are challenges and everything you experience in life is either a challenge or a trial. And now a challenge is something that you want to get into. It's something that you voluntarily say, I want to push myself. I want to do this. I want to get into a challenge. And that's, that's what most people do most of the time is getting into challenges. But a trial is something that is not something that you wanted to get into. It is something that has got brought to your doorstep and that was un, un, unwanted. <laughs> and now you are going to have to face it, whether you want to or not. And a trial really makes you, um, it, it is very stressful. It, it's tough. And a trial could happen to either you or a family member, but it affects you in the same way. So it was really stressful during that time because, you know, I haven't experienced a trial in a very long time. So experiencing that trial was, was, was pretty difficult. And I was like, Oh man, this is like stressing me out to no end. So, um, just trying to, you know, think about all that stuff and get ready for a race and do all that. I, I just like, I was like, I can't, I can't get all this stuff done. I'm not going to experience, I'm not going to try to do a challenge while I'm experiencing a trial. That's not going to happen. So kind of just said, Hey, I got to, got to, you know, chalk it up and get ready for, you know, just to prepare myself for this trial. Cause I don't know whether or not it's going to be a long one or a short one, but, uh, yeah, I'm glad that it kind of, uh, just settled down and everything's better. <laughs> what was that process of settling? Like from the day you decided, all right, I'm in this book. And what, what book was that by the way? Man, I have it right here. Hold on. Let me see. I, Natalie, go grab it. Natalie. Can you give me that book? What's the name of the book? Tell Natalie hi. It's by, uh, it, it, yeah, it's it's uh, Peter Coe's book. Sebastian Coe's dad. I forgot. Mm. Oh, yeah. Better training for distance runners. This is. Uh, hi. Hi. If you read this, this is, yeah, if you read this, this is painful. <laughs> this is like uh, very much like the most like scientific book that I think exist on running. I, I haven't seen anyone that's more scientific than this one, but yeah, it's like, uh, it, I had, I had to go through it like four or five times the first time I went through it. So 
it, it's not a fun one. <laughs> that book, I believe, has a companion book for templates for training mm-hmm. uh, that he wrote as well. And that's the book that my college coach coached out of. Oh, nice. Yeah. It, he's, it, it's like the book itself is more about the process of it more than the training itself. So a companion book would make sense. Yeah. 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 It's, it's almost like a spiral binder, I think, that you, that accompanies a lot of what he's believed in his training throughout. But So I guess we're kind of getting deep right away from the start. You talked about the challenges and trials, and I really like that a lot and how one doesn't coincide well with the other. But you, we are in a sport that kind of simulates trials through the challenges. Right. And we just enter them a lot. Did you find that there was carryover? Or were you kind of like reduced down to a different skill set afterwards? Did you get to take the challenge work you've done and apply it? Yeah, uh, and that's that's kind of what I was telling Kirk uh, in SoCal. It's the fact that the fact that we do so many challenges, it kind of prepares us for trials because you do all these challenges and you're kind of in you're you're used to the stress that is you know accompanied with a trial. But the thing is, it doesn't stop trials keep going and going and going and you don't know when the end date's going to happen and that's the scary part it's because you, you you're mm-hmm. going like for me that was probably the longest month of my life you know so far <laughs> it's like it was like oh my god how long has it been and it's like oh it's only been like three or four days since the last time you had humans i'm like man it's been it's felt like a week or two like at least and the reason why is because you're in constant stress so the, the thing is, though, challenges and, and the challenges that we do in races and the challenges that we do uh, in life, they do prepare you for the trial. But the thing is, the trial just doesn't have an end date. It doesn't have a finish line. It could keep going and going and going. And that's that's the only difference. And like I was telling Kirk, though, it's like if you've gone through a, tr- a trial, you're prepared for a challenge mentally. Mentally, you are already ready for challenges. And if you use the trial and tell yourself, wait a minute, I've gone through some of the, the toughest stuff mentally that I could possibly go through. Well, then challenges are nothing. Challenges are easy. You just have to have the understanding that you're in a challenge and it's not a trial. I think some people go into challenges like races and they think to themselves, they're, they're going through a trial and they, they go through this, like, you know, they overanalyze it. They overthink it. And then they end up going into a more stressful position than they need to be. But if they understand, it's just, just a challenge. It's going to end and it's going to end real soon. This is only going to last a few hours. It's only going to last, you know, a couple minutes. Then you have this understanding where, okay. If, if that's the case, then what am I really concerned about? It's performance. That's what I'm really concerned about. It's like, this is now just a challenge. I need to push myself hard. And how hard can I push myself? And how, what can I do to increase my performance? And if you're focused on that, then, then your, your challenges go a lot better. I was just going to say, Bracken, it's kind of that thing where we've had this conversation a few times now. We're like, you can't force yourself into a trial. Like those trials are like bestowed upon you. It's not like you can... Yeah. burn your own house down and lose everything that means something to you and then create a narrative of motivation. It's like one of those blessings and curses, right? It's a curse at first. And then hopefully it's turned into a blessing making challenges seem unformidable. 
And it's like one of those things you just can't, you can't manicure, right? You can't man or manifest. It's, it's one of those things. We've had this conversation with a few people, haven't we, Bracken? Yeah. Yeah. You can't ask for it. You can't prep for it. It arrives mm. and then you're yeah. in it. And it usually takes a minute to realize you're in it. But you're generally, if you don't lose the trial, because you can lose a trial, yeah. different than losing a challenge. But if you come out it, you're better for it. But not once during it do you think you're about to be. No. Like in a challenge, a bad workout or a bad race, you can be like, oh, this sucks, but I'm going to gain a lot from this. <laughs> like, I'll be better. To... You don't think that in a trial. Yeah. Trials, you know, what, yeah, you can lose a trial and that's like, you know, you experience a death or you experience something that's extremely traumatic. But, you know, in the end, I think a lot of people don't think about the mental fortitude that they experience while in a trial. And if you understand that, then you can handle challenges pretty easily. I think that's why I, I, I'm really good at like ultra ultra distance running because I look at it and I'm like, oh, this is like, this is a challenge and it's, 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 it's not even close to what a trial is like. And then so my mentality is always like, this is just, you know, it, it's, it's fun as long as you just keep it fun. And as long as you don't have your body break down, you know, to complete shit, then it's going to be a fun time. But the minute you start to overdo it and overcook it, then it's like, all right, now it's going to be, now your challenge might become a trial and you might be out there for a while <laughs> in the woods doing stupid shit. So I'm like, no, just keep it as a, as a challenge and then you'll be fine. So just, just keep it nice and moderate and just have a good time. So I, I, I don't know. I, I just think like, as long as my body's feeling relatively you know, good and I'm able to move, I, I never had a like a mental problem with with uh, ultra running. So I, I just hear a lot of people saying like, oh, my God, I got to this point and like I just couldn't think about running anymore. And I'm like, oh, I never, never had that. That never went through my mind. So I don't know. A lot of an athletics seems to be you were born with it or or you're not like speed. You can train it a lot, but you're born with the ability to develop a lot of speed or you're not. And you're going to hit a ceiling at some point. You can do a lot with what you've been given, but, or height, yeah. <laughs> you know, certain things you just can't, but, but the ability to find joy in the middle of an ultra, some people have it, but everyone else can find it. Yeah. But it's, you're right. A lot of people turn challenges into trials, uh, without, without realizing there's another option. Yeah. And I think that's, that's the thing. I'm like, I, I think a lot of people have gone through trials, but they don't use them during challenges. And then so it's like, oh, like, you do know you've gone through a lot worse in your life mentally. And like, you've gone through sleepless nights, and you've gone through times where, like, life was really, really tough. It's like, you're going through a challenge that's a race right now, that's just really long. It's like, just calm yourself and understand, like, you're going through a challenge. And it's not that, not that dramatic. And if you have that mentality, then you're going to be able to keep continue to push and continue to enjoy the event. Cause it's just a challenge. Like challenges, you know, you can, you can stop them at any time. It's like, Oh, I'm, I'm done. I don't want to, I don't want to do this anymore. It's like uh, challenges could be stopped and you can reassess and be like, Oh, I did this wrong. I chalk it up. I could redo this, but trials, there is no, there's no stop. There's no, there's no knowing when the, when the start line, when, when the gun goes off and you just know when you're in it, you're in it and it's, it's hell. So it sucks. <laughs> 
This um this is what I would like to do, Mark, if you're cool with this. Um we normally see we like to butter you up for a while, we like to get to know you, and then we dive into the you know, the good stuff and we're leading with it. And if you wanna get to know Mark, listeners, let's just say roughly two years ago we interviewed Mark, we got his backstory, his upbringing as an athlete, all that stuff. We already done that with Mark. But what we haven't done Was that during our coaches series? It might have been our coaches series. We talk training specifics, yeah. yeah. That have been two years ago, right? Two plus? Anyways. Mm-hmm. About two years ago. Yeah. yeah. So you won WTM since we chatted last. Correct? Yes. So we actually haven't gotten up to speed. So what I was hoping to do is this. I wanted to walk through like your real emergence as an ultra runner. Then I want to give some the people some specifics. I want to talk about your specific condition that you got up. Your training was going good. Like let's actually walk through the timeline so people can look out for this. So hopefully it can prevent that from happening to them and then kind of look to the next step, but like, which would be like whatever you have coming up this year. But we didn't talk about anything. Basically from what I understand of your ultra running history is yes, you've run long distances and you've raced marathons, but you hopped in an ultra ultra virus COVID type race and went out and laid the hammer down on everybody, ran an insane amount of mileage in 24 hours and then officially started really dabbling in the ultra scene. And the first 24-hour, I believe, official race you ran was was World's Toughest Mudder, and you set the record in your inaugural approach, I believe, or yeah. attempt. So, like, we didn't talk about any of that, how that came came to be. Like, how the heck – I mean, if Bracken, if you're cool with starting there and then getting caught up on today – Always. Suddenly, everybody's like, "Yeah, Mark's an ultra runner," but that hasn't always been the case. And so, I just wanted to sort of like understand all that, like how that started to happen, and then, and not to jump into your own story, but then less than six months later, you go and run super fast in a ten k on like Spartan course, and almost win a U.S. National Series race. Like that range is just something we need to dive into. So, I was hoping we could walk through your timeline, talk about your recent health struggle like the specifics so people can learn and then go from there if that's cool so talk about like deciding to go in on the ultra scene that's what i want to know yeah so i mean it was during covid um i think uh matt matt b davis and you know orm they they decided to have the ultra virus race and i signed up i think like a week like maybe 10 days before so didn't really like formally train for it just kind of like i heard about it and i was like ah that'd be fun and then you want to break down exactly what the event setup yeah was? yeah it's a 12 hour race um as many five mile loops as you can do uh in 12 hours and you know that was pretty much the premise um and then you can do it from your home or wherever you want to do it but it you know you just have to you know just record your miles on Strava and, and have a, a GPS watch that they can kind of document where, where the miles are coming from. So I did, um, I ran at my, my brother-in-law's house and his garage, uh, it kind of opens up. He has a nice trail in the back and I was like, Oh, this is kind of sweet and it's relatively flat. So I was like, I could do this. And we kind of planned it, you know, 10 days or nine days out. And I signed up for it. And just kind of showed up and, and just started running. And um, I, when I first started out, I was like, I'm just going to treat this like a long run and just see how long I can go. And I, I went at my long run pace for about 50 miles. 
And then <laughs> what? Wait, yeah. What was your previous long, long run? Uh, 34. 34. Like recently? Or like it's like you had done 34 and tra- Yeah, 34 in training in 2017. Oh, so like so four or five years prior. Okay. So, yeah. And I was like, okay, like I know I could do it. And that was in prep for uh, world's toughest eight hour race. Like me and Glenn were going to do it. And like I, I was like, all right, we're teammates. We're going to do this. Like I'm excited. And, and then all of a sudden, like my Achilles like flared up. And I was like, I don't think I can run. Like, for eight hours like i i I have a very like like you know my body's not feeling great and then i ended up running a half marathon anyways that weekend and i ran it in like one oh one oh nine or something like that but anyways i i did the uh uh i did the ultra bias race and it was it was great i had fun it was it was exciting and I, i was just having a good time the whole time and so you ran through 50 unbroken? No, I, I took I took rest, but I think when I got to 50, I think my 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 pit time was somewhere around like 20 to 30 minutes. <laughs> so okay. I was I almost chalked it up. I almost finished. But then I was listening to the live feed of, of the other athletes coming in and doing their thing. And this one lady came in and she's like, she she was like, I'm feeling like garbage, I'm feeling like crap. And you know, I'm going to go out and I'm going to do another lap. And I was like, oh man, she should not be going out for another lap, but she's going out for another lap because she wants to see where her limits are and she wants to see what she's made of. And I was like, and I, I was, I was drinking, I finished like a whole beer and I was like, you know what? Like, I don't know where my limits at. I have no idea. And I'm like, I haven't even gotten close to them. And I was like, I got to go back out there. And then Natalie's like, oh, okay, like, go for it. And I was like, 50 was the goal. But I was like, I'm not even close to the time limit. I'm not, I'm not tired. Like, I should get back out there. I, I got to find my limit. What do you mean? Sorry to interrupt. What do you mean you weren't tired? How are you not tired after 50 miles? Like you knew there was more levels of tiredness to be felt still? Is that what I'm understanding? Yeah, like it, it was just like, I felt like I was like, like I was accomplished. Like, I feel good. I feel I finished 50 miles. Like that was great. But at the same time, I was like, I could keep running. Like there's nothing holding me back in terms of like continuing to run like that, that, that part to me was like, I haven't hit my limit yet. How fatigued were you? Um, at 50, I was tired. Like I was like, Oh, this is, this is tiring. <laughs> I think I was hitting, I think my average at the time was like close to like six fifteen or six twenty or something like that. So I was like, I was running really fast and I was like, I was taking longer breaks, but then I was like, you know what? I feel pretty good. Like, I think I can keep running, you know, pretty comfortable. So then my pace started to slow down and I started hitting like seven minute pace, but I was still running and I was like, I'm still going. And then when I finished the time limit, I hit 85 miles and I still had like, I still had a little bit of time left on the clock, but there was no way I could do another lap. So I was like, okay, 85 miles is what it is. And um, my brother-in-law was like, oh man, you were, you know, you were actually pretty close to getting a hundred done, you know, and you really smoked 24 hours. <laughs> He's like, you should probably think about that world's toughest thing. And I was like, yeah, that would be, that would be interesting. And then, so that, that kind of is what the first race that actually got it into my mind. And 
you know, I, I don't know. I, I thought to myself, you know, I wasn't really prepared for it. I really didn't like plan on it. I was like, maybe this was a fluke. Maybe this was just a one-time flash in the pan kind of situation. So then I signed up for my next ultra, which was a couple months later. And that was um, uh, Black Canyon. And when I did Black Canyon, um, I, it was, it was uh, right after COVID. So it was 2021. And it was weird because they staggered us all. They staggered the elites. They only had so many people in the first wave. And in, I was in the second wave and I was actually ranked like last, almost last place in the second wave. They said they were almost throwing me in the third wave. And I was like, this is ridiculous. So I ended up taking off and, and there was one marathon guy who took, he, he took out like a shot and I was like, oh man, this guy's going to die. <laughs> Uh, I think he, he got to 19 miles and his average pace was like 530 or something like that. And I was like, dude, that was smoking. And I got there and I felt pretty good. And I just kept clipping up people and I started catching people from the first wave when I got to 34. And then I ended up finishing that race in um, sixth place. So I thought I did pretty good coming from the second. You finished just in right, right in front of Justin Grunewald, didn't you? Or just behind? Who we've had on this podcast, yeah. I saw yeah, you guys were in front. the results yeah. right, right next to each other. Yeah, for perspective. Yeah, and then fifth place in front of me was only like I think he was like less than thirty seconds, but I couldn't see him because he had already finished, you know, ahead of me, given like the 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 lead and everything. So I was like, oh man, I kind of thought back to it, and I was like, man, I would have did a lot better if I would have known, like, because when I got to mile fifty, I think I was in like third place. But like my last 12 miles were really, really, they, they hurt really bad. I think my nutrition plan wasn't exactly dialed in yet. <laughs> and when I got to 50, I was in, I was roughly in third or fourth place, like right there and given my time. But then in the end, I ended up getting six. So my last 12 miles kind of went backwards. And I thought to myself, man, if I would have been in the hunt, if I would have been there, if I would have been with the guys, like getting our gear and getting our stuff. I'm like, I think it would have been a little different. I think I could have like mustered out like a, maybe a fourth or fifth place as opposed to a sixth. So that, that gave me confidence and that, that kind of led me into getting ready for world's toughest mutter. Uh, at that point, I think the whole year I was talking about it and I was like, Oh, I'm going to do it. This is it. Like I, I'm fired up. Like I'm already confident that I can, I can prepare and get ready for this event. When we watch our races back, Kirk and I were just talking about this a week or two ago. That we always maybe two weeks ago after your race when he, he his was uh you you live streamed it and so we got to watch it and I watched it and he was like man I forget how slow we look racing <clears throat> and and we said yeah but there are a few people who look quick Mark looks quick Chris Brown looks quick the 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 fast cadence high cadence guys they look they look pretty quick when they run but you're one of the only people and then I thought back world's toughest every year you watch it and it's unimpressive to view like physically you can you know they're going through it because there are people who can't speak on camera yeah you know like something's bad is happening but it, it looks unimpressive like at no point are you watching it thinking i couldn't do what they're doing until your year you were running like mile 90 to 95 or and then 95 to 100 and i'm thinking he's running sub seven right now it looks like he actually looks like he's running you don't see running at world's toughest and but now hearing these few stories yeah your first attempt at an ultra if you're holding 615 620 for 50 miles yeah it puts a little perspective at why you looked fast at the end of it because you were 
keeping your pace deep into the race. Yeah, I think I think my last lap on the world's toughest um, was one of my faster laps. I, I hit like 52 minutes or something like that. It was, it was, it was, it was moving. I was like, oh wow, that was that was pretty good. And there were some moments um, where there was like a little downhill section where I got down like I was hitting sub sixes for for that section. So it it was definitely like I was. I was trying the whole time, like to, to, to get some, to get some running going. Yeah. Um, and then it, it wasn't until late in the night where I was like, okay, it's like midnight or like one o'clock in the morning where I was like, okay, you know what? Maybe I'll start walking on the steep Hills because I'm not feeling really great. And then it, it started to like pinch at my calf a little bit. And I was like, Oh, that's, that's starting mm-hmm. to feel like a little, little wonky. So Maybe I'll, I'll, I'll back off a little bit. And then after that, then I started rolling up again. And then the last lap, I was just like, oh man, it's finally over. I just got to finish this last lap. So I just mm-hmm. put on a, put on a finish. I was like, I'm going to go for it. Um, whatever I got left, I'm just going to empty the tank, finish up this 24 hour strong. So Kirk and I have both raced against you. And generally you're one of the people at the start line that brings a level of running to the table that gets people nervous. We know if Mark's kind of on one today, we could be in trouble, but we generally can fake it for a while. If we need to, like you're, you're a phenomenal runner, but we can stay in range if we need to. Right. Some days we can't, but it's in at no point in any of your ultras. Have I ever looked and thought if I needed to like from 50 to 60, I could try and then die. Like No point. Like you're a much better 5k runner than I am. I understand that a better 10k runner. I understand that, but I could hang for a while if I had to, I would just pay for it. There's no chance on this planet. I could hang for any bit of your ultras. Why do you carry so much speed into it? Like you talk about being able to dip down sub six and mile 95 or hundred or 105 of an ultra. Most humans can't do that. Even if they might even have better running metrics than you what what is that difference that people can sometimes do what you can do on other courses but no one i mean not no one but very few people on this planet hold speed into mile 60 and beyond what what is why why do you think that happens with you what can you point to uh yeah like i i kind of look at it like i i do like a mental body check and i'm like oh we're not we're not dead like we still feel relatively good i think some people um, you know, when they, when they think about how they're feeling, I think they might over exaggerate it a little bit and they are thinking like, Oh my God, this is like the worst ever. But like, if, if you're, if you've been in that zone for a long time in your life, you know, for how many years I've been training, it's kind of like, Oh, this doesn't feel any different than, you know, a hard workout or a long run or anything else. So the way I see it, I'm like, I'm not in a, in a place of danger here. Like, I feel like it's comfortable. Like, I feel like it's, it's still in the realm of like, I can physically do that. I think other people are like, Oh no, this is like danger zone. Like I've already gone 15, like 15, 20, 30 miles. Like, like I I'm starting to feel a little wonky. I'm not feeling a hundred percent. And I'm like, you know, you, you're not going to feel a hundred percent at 90 miles at a hundred miles, but whatever you do feel, just understand that it's like, it's not too far off the percentages of what you need to still run fast. So I think that understanding is like, I think I understand that very well. Whereas other people probably don't where they're just like, Oh, like, 
if it starts to hurt, like that's it, it's going to go off the rails. And like, ah, you can stay on that point for at least another 20 miles. But for them, they're thinking that like, you know, it's going to go off the rails already. And I felt like that too, when I used to do the marathons, like when I did marathons, like, oh my God, like I, that, I think it's that fast pace, you know, like that whole time, by the time you get to 20, you feel like garbage. Like I can't, like I, I see guys like running like their times now and I'm just like, oh, that's that's just not that that doesn't compute in my brain because I'm like, that's just doesn't make any sense. Like all these other times I'm seeing I'm like, that doesn't make any sense because I'm like, I can you can hold an, a max like like aerobic effort for X amount of time and then your body starts to go off the rails and it goes fast. So that's like hitting the wall is like that feeling sucks so much. <laughs> and once you do that, that's it. You, now, you know, it's, it's done. Like now your, your body's going to shit. So I think because I felt that before, like that intense hit the wall kind of feeling, and I'm not feeling that in ultras, I'm like, I can still hold this pace. So I don't know, maybe I think, um, if people kind of had that feeling where it's like, Oh, like, have you gone intense to a point where, you know, your body just goes to complete shit and the, the airplane just erupts into bursting flames. <laughs> like, uh, you kind of understand like that feeling, um, is nowhere near where you're at right now. So you can keep going and it, it, it's pretty comfortable. Yeah. That, um, that kind of answered my, I had a follow-up question to what Bracken asked cause he spurred a, an idea in my head <clears throat> and that was, I mean, listen to all the old Spartan Race broadcasts. Listen to people talking on the internet, and it's going to be a fast, flat 5K course. And who's our speedsters? Mark Botris and maybe Hobie Call. We start listing off the marathon accolades. Who's the one with the leg speed? And it wasn't like, who's the one with the endurance here that's going to dominate this beast course? Mark Botris's name wasn't brought up in those instances. It was always the fast stuff. Now, I mean, that's the narrative we all like to write, but obviously or we, we chose to write and that wasn't correct. And so my follow-up question was going to be like, how does somebody who is perceived and performed generally better on short courses in the past, at least in the OCR realm, you know, completely rewrites their script, but then your comparison of epically blowing up in a marathon and going down in flames compared to the pain of an ultra, I can understand that. Is there anything more to it other than volume of work over decades now that you think, because really your narrative has been rewritten. Like Mark Botris is a formidable force in ultras. He's scary AF now. And nobody would have thought that before you did this. It wouldn't have been, you wouldn't even have been close to labeled as that. So it's like, is there any glue in between there that brings it all together? Or did we touch on it already? Do you think? I don't know. It's kind of weird. Like it kind of surprised me too. Like I didn't think I was going to be good at ultras. Like I, I went out there and I was just like, oh, let's just see what happens. But then, you know, after doing it, I kind of realized like, oh yeah, that experience that I have, like doing marathons and like being able to hold like a 220 pace or, or you know, faster and then blowing up kind of like gave me the like perception and understanding of how my body, you know, feels and what I can do. So if I'm not at that like red line, cause marathoning is like, Oh yeah, you're going to red line for two hours and 10 minutes or whatever. And it's like, ah, oh, it's such a, 
it's a it's a very difficult distance to master and to understand and to train for and, and yeah. to do. It's just like, oh, it's it's brutal. It's not good for the body. I, I've done it for years and I was like, oh man, I just felt trashed after. And when you when you figure that pace out and you figure that intensity out, it's like, oh man, it's it's really difficult. So I know that ultras, it's you're well off that pace. And I had no idea how well I would do in, in terms of an endurance setting being off of that pace and figuring out that, you know, I do have talent in it and I do have, you know, kind of like a, like ability to just keep going and not feel any, any, um, uh, pressure or not sound off any alarms and, um, just staying calm in that motion and just continuing on and just having songs in my head and just kind of, just having fun <laughs> so it's just a weird i think it's just a weird weird thing and then when it comes to the speed stuff it's like i i have so much years of experience of running fast 5ks running fast steeplechases running fast 10ks it's like i know what it takes to be that quick and you know so i just kind of you know just throw myself in there and just know it's like it's gonna hurt it's gonna suck and you know i just got to get in there and just like give it a hundred percent um, yeah, I just, I, I, you know, I don't know if it's just more than experience, but I think experience has a lot to do with it. You know, just being able to say like, yeah, I've had years in this and I had years in this. And, you know, I mean, I've been running fast as a kid since I was eight years old. So it was like, you know, competitively running like speed races since I was eight all the way up until, you know, college. So, yeah. There's a lot of years in there. <laughs> I might be jumping the gun on this one, Kirk, but I'm going to ask it anyway. So we saw with Tyler. Tyler got into ultras. Yeah. He was always a really good athlete, pretty decent explosion and speed, but he didn't really scare anyone in OCR. And he got into ultras and he came back and he crushed people at shorter courses. He came back with like a, an unbreakable engine. He could race 60 to 90 minutes with a level of exertion that uh, maybe used to kill him. Now he had something to fall back on. So when you look at him and you look at that type of thing and how you feel in your training, do, does this get you more fired up to, I think I want to jump back into some of that stuff and crush people now because I know that blowing up isn't really as big of a issue as it will be for other people because I, I have 24 hours of endurance or do you look at it and say, I have this speed I have the ability to run 615s for dozens and dozens and dozens of miles and probably faster now. Like That might be 550 for you, or I, I don't know where you're at. but or, or do you get more excited to, maybe I take this thing to the trails in the mountains. Maybe I do a, uh, maybe a Western States or go after a Leadville. Which way are you leaning with this kind of newfound toy you Because <laughs> would you have predicted five years ago that, I'm going to get to my mid thirties and just become an ultra monster. Or is this just like you woke up on Christmas morning? Like this isn't the gift I wanted, but it's kind of cool. Yeah, that's exactly what it is. Cause I, <laughs> I had no intentions of doing ultras. I, I, in fact, when I was a kid, I'd be like, why would anybody want to run that long? Like it didn't make any sense to me. Mm -hmm. And it was weird when I was like, like it, 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 we always like, well, you played basketball, uh, Brecken. So me and Natalie always say it like, there's just like, like there's a saying when it, when it comes to guys that are just like dunking like crazy, it's like, you got hops out the gym, you know, it's like, you can just dunk and you can just do all these things. And it's like, 
that's just God-given talent. That's like, there's no, there's no work there. You know, it's like you just showed up and then now you're able to dunk, you're able to block, you're able to rebound. You can do all these things, all athletic things for this sport. You just got it. And like, I feel like I have that for ultra running. Like, it's just like, I just got it. I just have it. And I'm like, oh, wow. It's like, it's really interesting. And I'm like, this is really cool. (laughs) So I really want to do more races in it. But, um, you know, having to work with my body being as old it is, as it is, it's, it's, um, it's challenging. Cause I was going to do black Canyon, um, and next weekend, and I'm not going to be able to do it because I strained my calf, um, right before SoCal and, you know, just dealing with my body getting older and kind of having to do more kind of auxiliary workouts and to take care of my body and maintenance and all this stuff. It's like, okay, now I have to go back to the drawing board and kind of focus more on that than the actual miles and stuff like that. So it's been, you know, it, it, I, I was telling, (laughs) I was telling Kirk, I was like, you know, it's funny because every year you become older with running, it's um, it's the same game, but it's set up differently. So like imagine a chessboard that you get to, but every year it's like the pieces are arranged differently before you start. It's the same game, but now you have different pieces that are gone, different pieces that are rearranged. And now you have to re- readjust your strategy in order to accomplish the same goal. So it's very difficult. But, um, you know, as as I get older, I'm like, I, I'm running out of time to kind of um, excel at uh, at. at at, at any sport really. Um, my, my son is like kind of taking, my sons are, are taking my attention away from myself and, and I'm putting it on them and I, I love it. So <laughs> I've, I've been training them pretty hard and, um, you know, Marky got third at, uh, the cross country nationals. So, um, he's, he's, uh, kind of a talent right now. So kind of cultivating him is like, is kind of more of, my priority than myself because I'm like, there's not much I can gain out of anything that I do in terms of the sport. It's like, you know, I can, I can win a, a black Canyon and I can win a, a Western States and it will pale in comparison to what he's capable of and and what he's going to be able to do. So I'm like, Oh, so I'm like, ah, do I really want to spend all that time, you know, working on my stuff when I can be focusing on his workouts and his stuff and making sure that, you know, the, my boys get, get the best training possible. Yeah. Hmm. So I don't mind sacrificing. It's all good. Well, one, one question I wanted to get to about you saying that, you know, you got to 50 miles and it was easy and it's relative, of course, um, being able to run quick later in WTM. And I actually want to get to your son's, uh, in a, in a bit here. And he's a humble young man too. talking to him. There was no ego there. Like I'm the best and I'm, he was very humble when I chatted with him briefly, but, um, here, so I've run, uh, 37 miles on my 37th birthday. I've run two fifty K's and everything's been with purpose. Meaning I didn't go out and just run them to put in 37 miles. I went out with a mission for the day of running it hard and fast and like pushing myself. And I did in all of those and I was happy with those efforts and I'm going to do it again. I'm my 40th coming up and I'm entertaining, trying to go out and run 40 miles at 630 pace or something. Like I haven't decided yet. I want to do something dumb, but the problem I run into is 
um, is it's skeletally, structurally is what breaks down on me. So my aerobic system, sure, I get some cardiac drift and all of that if I'm continuing to push myself, but eventually my hips just go. And something starts hurting in, you know, like my legs just don't want to turn over. And pretty soon every stride hurts. And I'm like, oh, my God, like my bones ache at this point. And then I project taking that another, you know, twice as far. And I'm like, what would happen to me? And, and the, the code and I'm, you know, a lot of these things I prepared for very, very purposely doing three plus hour long runs, doing some back to back stuff, running hard down and uphill. So I was prepared, but at effort, they still went on me like eventually I broke down physically, not aerobically. So my question for you is, do you have any, it doesn't sound like structurally you've broken down to the point of like, oh my God, I can barely pick my leg up. Like you're still running six minute pace at times at a hundred miles. What am I missing here? Is this, is this the God given talent that you're referring to? Or am I, is there a a box I haven't opened in regards to this yet? I I think, I think the training that people do for an ultra is like from what I've read, like from what I've read in, in most like training books and stuff like that. And what I've looked at, I'm like, I, I saw what they prescribe and I looked at all their stuff and I, I was like, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm not, I'm not even going to do that because I don't, I don't think it's correct. And this is the first time I ever like, got into a new thing or new sport or new, new venture and running and totally looked at the books, looked at everyone's training, looked at everyone's strategy and said to myself, Oh, this looks stupid. This looks dumb. I'm not going to do this. (laughs) Can you break that down? Okay. So like, like when people do like back to back long runs and stuff like that, like I was like, Oh, that looks, that looks pretty, that that looks interesting. And then I was like, you know, in the end, you're just going to get really fucking tired. Like you're going to get so tired that you're not going to be able to hold your mileage for the rest of the fucking week. So I'm like, why would I do that? Like that doesn't seem correct. So like for me, my longest run that I do for ultra running is 18 miles. And it's less than I did when I was running marathons. And my whole thing was like, why, why would I train to get myself tired? And then when I looked at it, I was like, you know, when I get to two hours, I can feel that my body is really absorbing a lot of aerobic capacity. Like I'm feeling like my aerobic capacity is like really filling up. And the minute I start to go like two and a half hours, I feel like my body's starting to break down. So to me, it's like, there's no point in going over two and a half hours when you're doing your training. And then I started coming up with these like, you know, like little like cues in training where it's like, at two hours, you can put, it's like putting like $200 in the bank, right? But the minute you start to go to three hours or whatever, it's still only $200 in the bank, right? So it's like your body's just paying for all that, the rest of this stuff. So, and then if you go an hour, you're putting $100 in the bank. And anything in between is like 130 150 160 whatever that in between is. So in terms of like maxing out aerobic capacity, it's like, yeah, as many two hours and one hours and you kind of add them up and you're like, okay, this is like, that's a good bank account. It's looking good aerobically. But the minute you start to go to like 84 miles of training in a week, like 
for me anyways, like I feel like my glass is already full. So it's like my bank account's already flushed. Like that's the most I could put in that week. That's it. I could, I could, if I tried to put any more, it wouldn't go into the bank. It wouldn't do anything. So I looked at it like, I've noticed like all these training books and everything, they always go up to like a hundred miles or more and everything like that. And I've done those type of training plans. And I always felt like my body was going to break after like five or six weeks, seven weeks, eight weeks. And I've done those training plans where like I, I even done a hundred miles and then I started doing 120, then 130, 140. And I noticed at the very end of like 12 weeks, like my body felt like garbage and I got to the race and I ended up running like garbage. So I was like, it's better to be undertrained in prep for these races than it is to overtrain and then be fatigued. So I'd rather show up to the race a little undertrained and understanding that this race is all aerobic. It's no, there's no anaerobic whatsoever. So if it's all aerobic, like, you know, you're, you're not really going to get crazy in, into, you know, you know, getting into hard, hard speed and all that kind of stuff. So it's, if your aerobic capacity maxes out at around 84 miles, anything beyond that. And it's like, you're, it exponentially increases your increase for risk for, for um, your risk for injuries. So now it's like, okay, like you might, you, you like, it's kind of like the 80, 20 rule kind of thing. Or it's like, Oh, you've maxed it out like already. So w- what are you doing at this point? Like you're trying to get that last, like, it's like, I, I feel like my aerobic capacity is maxed out to like 95%. I've done hundred miles and I've done 120. I, I've, I've already gone up to the, the highest scales of running. And I did not feel any different aerobically than what I do at 84 or around 80 miles. So essentially I am getting my body more tired just to get more miles on the page, just to get more mo- miles in the logbook. That's it. And the aerobic capacity that I'm gaining is somewhere around like two to 3%. And it's like, do you really think that that two to 3% is going to make a huge difference in your racing? Or do you think that increase of injury is going to make a huge difference for your, your buildup? And the fact that I'm doing 84 miles and keeping myself healthier allows me to do it for a longer period of time. So when I was getting ready for world's toughest, I was doing 84 miles since like february or like i think march since march all the way to all the way to the race and i was like oh i felt i felt maximized the whole time so i think with the training with ultra running um it's still in its infancy i don't think we we really hard like we, we we haven't really um like honed in on what really works for people and what really is 100 percent. so for me being an older athlete and, and kind of like understanding my body a little bit more, I was like, I'm not going to be able to do this ultra training. I, I like, I was looking at plans that were like at 120, 110. And I was like, no, I've already done that shit. Uh, it's just going to kill me. So what can I do? Like I said, the chessboard looks a little different. What can I do now that, that still implements a good strategy that allows me to, to, to put this race in checkmate? You know what I mean? Like, what can I do? So instead of doing more running, I started saying, okay, if I'm maxed out at 84 miles with running, I could put more aerobic capacity in biking 
and in other cross-training attributes, rowing, uh, fan bike, stuff like that. That stuff's not going to put pressure on my body. So now I'm putting more time in aerobically. I'm getting that last 5%, but I'm not doing it on my feet. I'm doing it, doing it cross-training. And also I'm focusing on endurance lifting. So now I'm not focusing on being really powerful, but I'm focusing on lifting endurance, endurance phasing. So I'm doing like, you know, uh, like my, my weight sessions will be like an hour long and it's just like, just constant stuff. That's like body weight mostly. But my big thing is hip mobility, knee health and calf strength. And if I have those things kind of honed in, then I'm not going to get injured and I'm going to keep my body strong. And I do all these things after my run and after my cross training. So at this point now, now I have a strong body well into like three to four hours into an event. And I have confidence that my body's not going to break down. Because I know like that hip thing, I think that happened to me at, uh, what you call it, the ultra virus. So I corrected it getting ready for Black Canyon and for world's toughest. Well, uh, one follow-up question then. Mm-hmm. So I'm not like an aspiring ultra athlete or anything, but I like to, I like to shoot my shots once in a while, right? Like in my own time and I've had success. I won the 50 K I entered in and ran a top 10 time on that course with some big names and, and things like that. So I know I could, but what you're describing, like if I'm not running three hours, my resistance to impact, like I will break down even earlier if I'm not in, there's a fine line. Right. And so you go with the argument of like, well, like if my longest runs like right now are like an hour 45, hour 30, I'm not running that long right now, but my aerobically, I'm just like you, I'm ceiling down. Like I'm fit right now. Um, yeah. But if I went out and r- raced for four hours in a 50 K and uh, I would still be smacked, like my, it would go on me. That's like, so you think like just the, but I might be a 50 mile a week athlete when I'm training running four or five days a week. So when I swing, I swing. But point being is, so do you think 84 miles doesn't sound like a lot to you, but it's a lot to most, pretty much everybody listening. So I'm trying to wrap my head still (laughs) after your explanation as to how your resistance impact, like how it works. Like Bracken, do you, do you understand what I'm asking? Like, I'm still like, you need to create enough damage so your body can resist it once the, the race comes. But right now what I'm hearing from you is like, Hey, save your shot. Like you're better off going in, fresh and you can beat yourself up on race day instead of beating yourself up beforehand so much that you you show up compromised which i understand the philosophy but for me it's like i don't think i'd have a prayer unless i was going out there putting three hours on feet regularly so my body could build up the resistance impact so it's like an interesting it's like you know, it's a conundrum it's like feels like a catch-22 it's interesting to listen to both of you because i identify with both of those things mm-hmm. i guess my takeaway from mark is that he could do three or four hour long runs like once a month, or he could run like 15, two hour runs in a month mm. or more. And eventually two hours doesn't cause a single amount of damage. So now it's not a four hour race. It's a two hour race. Whereas you might be able to hit three hours once a month, but you're smashed after each one, but you can handle a three hour event. But every step over that is smashing the legs. I, I guess like as an outside view, that's, what my takeaway would be, I have never felt that myself because I've never done multiple two hour runs a week or however it is. I'm not entirely sure how you're running, but I could see that the frequency of sub maximal long runs could make an ultra race shorter. 
so that the damage doesn't start until later. But yeah, I can't physically like understand that in my own body. <laughs> Theoretically, I, it makes sense, but physically, no, it doesn't make sense to me. Yeah, like when I used to do like three to four hour runs, like like I like I did a thirty four mile run, so it's like it takes it takes a while to do that. Um, and when I did that run, I I was beat up after. Like I felt like, oh man, like that was not. I did not feel great on that. And you know, in the end, I was like, oh, you know it it just made me feel tired like the next day i had to like reduce the amount of running i did and i had to you know adjust my week and i did a lot of like um i had to uh, like i had to make adjustments just because i was more fatigued now and it's like oh it's i think it's more i i did the run well like the the run went well it was the aftermath of the run that was more of an effect against my training negatively. So if I didn't do that run, and this is where I started thinking for my training now, it's like, if I didn't do that run, I would have came back with a decent run the next day. And then the next day would have been a good run. And then the next day would have been, good. and then I would have been able to do another long run the following day. But because I did that 34 mile run the next week, was lumpy as crap it was like oh now i gotta do six miler six miler until i started feeling better midweek and then i started bumping up the miles again so the way i looked at it was that was just lost time where i could have been putting in more money in the bank like i said if i did a three hour run or like a three and a half or four hour run i'm still only putting in 200 bucks that's it like that's all i got that's all i got aerobically after that i started paying for it with my, my, my fatigue levels. Now, the next day, I only did a six mile run and it was only 30, you know, something minutes. It's like, oh, great. I only put in like 50 bucks in the bank. That's nothing. That's, that's not, that's not moving the needle. That's not giving me more cash in the bank. So looking at the aerobic benefit that you're getting from a 10 mile run, that's a hundred bucks. That's good. Like, that's what I want in the bank at least. And when I'm getting ready for an ultra. So for me, it was like when I looked at it um, and I looked at my old training and, and doing the long runs and all that stuff, I noticed the dip after my long run wasn't worth it because I did the run perfectly. Like the run went well, but it was the aftermath of the effects of the run that I was like, that was negative. That wasn't good. So instead of being like being able to hit that one run and, and being mentally confident that I could do it in the race. Instead, I'm saying, no, I'm just going to be as aerobically fit as I could possibly be. And then when I show up on race day, I know it's just there and I, I gotta, I gotta hope it's there. <laughs> and then when I go, it, it, it's been there several times. So it's kind of like, you know, like every time I get ready for an ultra, I'm always so damn nervous too. Cause I'm like, Oh man, I wish I would have done something longer <laughs> to at least like give me some confidence that, uh, that this is going to go well, but then it just goes well. And I'm like, wow, I really didn't need to do all those things. I was, the training went well. And, you know, I think when it comes to being like, just like I said, a hundred percent going onto the start line, that's a lot better than to be fatigued and to be like feeling like, Oh man, I just did that 30 mile run like a month ago. Then I had to take a week of like 
haphazard training. And then that next week I started feeling my legs back. And then that third week I started feeling good. And then now I'm going into the race. It's like, that's uh, to me, that's like risky as opposed to saying like, Oh man, a month ago I was doing fire runs. I I was great. 18 mile long runs in the mountains, feeling good coming off and, you know, getting a good long run, a good like 10 mile run in the next day and getting in a good tempo run and like doing my good training. It's like that now it's like you, 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 you never had that point of fatigue. You never had that point where your body had to recover from something as drastic as a three mile long run, four mile long run. Yeah. But like I said, I do a lot of stuff like, you know, my weight training session, you know, it's not inspiring, but <laughs> it, it, it does work. And it's like, it does get my body feeling stronger in the points where fatigue will onset. So it's kind of where I, where I do it. Yeah. Sounds like, um, it's like, how can I get to the end of the week with putting in as much money in the bank as possible and still be able to put that much money in the bank again next week and next week and yes. next week without it compromising. So you look at your week as a whole and you say, how much can I put, how can I put the highest quality and most dollars into the bank and replicate that without swinging too hard and then compromising next week's bank deposits. Is that what I'm understanding? If we're going to simplify it that, yeah, if we're going to simplify it, that's perfect. Because essentially what you want to do is just keep putting more money in the bank. You don't, there's no opportunity for a, like, a big bonus essentially like you cannot put more than 200 bucks in the bank at any time it never goes in so at that point if you realize that you're just like oh then why would i do a three-hour long run like why would i do a two like it doesn't make sense like just keep putting in that 200 bucks if you get to two hours you're good like if you if you try to go over that then you're more likely going to risk the body getting hurt so if that's the risk then there's no reason to risk it. There's no reason to put your body in that, that situation. And then you start saying like, Oh, there's no, there's no benefit of going over because I can't put $300 in the bank at once or go on a four hour long run and put $400 in the bank. That doesn't happen. The max you could put in is 200 bucks. That's like the bank limit. It's like, Nope, that's all you, that's all you could put in. And it's like, Oh, well then what aerobic benefit am I getting? Cause now the aerobic benefit is not there because I'm getting more trauma to my joints, to my muscles, to my, to my, my bones, like, like my nervous system. Like there's, there's a lot of like, like essentially bank fees every time you go over two hours, every time you go over two hours, there's like, Oh yeah, well you, you deposited 400, but there's, there's, you know, there's the, the bone fatigue there. There's all these things all these costs and you have to pay those back. So now you ended up only depositing two two $200 in total. So not worth it. I like that concept. Does that con is it the concept that applies universally or is it the time? Do you believe there are people whose three hours is your two? Do you think there are people who do are that their bodies get, 250 out of a three hour run do you or is it the concept of what your personal limit is is the one you don't exceed yeah i would say like in two like you know two hours two and a half max like you can put in a lot of good work and that needs to be like where you put the work in 
Um, I, I don't think there's that many people that can benefit from like going over that amount. Because like I said, like there's so much, like when I used to go over that amount, it was like, like, you know, you, there, there's more problems with my joints. Like I I'd start getting like, you know, ankle problems and, and feet problems. And then, you know, having knee problems. And it's like those issues and, 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 and sore muscles and all that stuff. It's like, they happen when you go beyond, you know, two and a half hours. So to me, it's like, uh, the benefit, any, any benefit you would get is, is it counter it's counterbalanced with like negative effects. So I don't know. I mean, you know, there, there are people that are like, I, I, I don't know. It's like, it's like, if I were to train like a, like a world-class, um, ultra runner, essentially, if I looked at myself, I, I always think about that. Like if I were to train myself coming out of college and I, like I, and I'm looking at myself now and I'm saying like, Oh, what's the best thing for that guy coming out of college, getting ready for ultras. And I still think I wouldn't, I wouldn't give a three hour long run. I would still give it like two and a half until a two and a half hour long run wouldn't benefit that person until like it, it, we got to a point where it was like, well, you know, you keep getting beat by Wamsley. Maybe we need to go three hours. <laughs> so it's like at that point, maybe we need to change it up a little bit, but yeah, I know a lot of those guys, you know, a lot of ultra guys, they, they do a lot of, like they, they put in big efforts, like four hour, five hour long runs. And, you know, to me, I'm like, I, I think the body would just go to crap in the next day, in the next couple, couple weeks. I don't see, the benefit in, you know, putting in that big of a run and then coming back with basically nothing, you know, it's like, eh, doesn't, doesn't get me excited. I don't, I don't think that's the right way to do it. Do you think that that theory changes at all when big vert comes into play with a lot of descending or does the same principle apply? Do you see a need for bigger days to be able to handle races with 30,000 feet of descending or, or do you stand, do you stand by that? I think I, I stand by that. Yeah. I mean, like big vert, like, uh, I mean, uh, if you're, if you're doing something like that, you want to do something like that in your training. So making sure you have enough vert and, and descending in the training while you're doing, you know, like your, your two hour effort, two and a half hour effort. And it's just making sure you understand the time frame you're in. Cause like, that would mean like, Oh, instead of me doing an 18 mile long run, it might re- be reduced to like a 12 mile long run given how much vert I'm doing. So, you know, mm-hmm. just that's why I would rather go off time in that instance where it's like, Oh, okay. If you're, you're going to be doing that much vert, you're going to be doing that much damage to your body. It's like, Oh, you're going to be going up and down, you know, big bear. Like, <laughs> It's like, Oh, you're not going to be going, uh, you, you like, you know, our races are about two hours. Cause that's how long, you know, and I I'm sure you guys remember how it feels to go up and down big bear for two and a half hours it's it's you feel like shit the next day <laughs> it's not like you're ready to go out for you know you know another race or anything so yeah just kind of uh yeah i would do it by time in that instance in prep for the the vert to try to keep the undulations as small as possible throughout your week do you want to spread yours as close to 200 as possible or do you try to to balance it out so you can get your most 200s possible yeah, I try to balance it out to get the most 200s possible. So I, I get usually two long runs in in a week. Mm. So that kind of like I, I'll get one 
one two hour long run and one two hour and like 15 minute long run yeah quality or standalone um just like easy running or are you mixing stuff in there well i mean my easy runs are pretty good um like i usually go like <laughs> sub seven minute pace on my easy runs and then like like um if, if i'm getting like in prep for a race like a month out i'll probably hit like an 18 mile long run um somewhere around like 6 30 pace with good undulations and good good amount of vert and then if i go up and climb the mountains and stuff then um i'm usually hitting like 650 pace so i i don't do it slow slow i do it like kind of at race pace of what an ultra would feel like um that just gives me that like that rhythm of like, Oh yeah, this is how I treat my body the whole time. This is, this is where I'm at. So essentially I'm doing 84 miles in the week. And that is basically like what I'm going to feel like for one day in the race. 84 miles at race pace, basically ultra race pace, ultra race pace. Yeah. So interesting. Yeah. So I, I don't really do, super slow stuff like i i probably never i hardly ever go over like 720 pace everything's under hmm. i'm gonna try to muddy the waters more here before i want to move All on right. to the next thing but <laughs> i'm gonna present two options for you i'm your coach suddenly mark and i give you two training plan options they say you got to pick one you got to commit to one and plan one is 10 miles every day Every day is 10 miles. That adds up to 70 miles a week. You're going to do it seven days a week, 10 miles. That's your cap. Option two is six miles a day. And you get to tack on a 22-mile long run every weekend, every Sunday, which I believe comes out to 58 miles a week. Which one are you picking? 10 miles a day. Absolutely. Without a doubt. Even though you know you might race for 100, it's an easy answer. I was hoping to muddy the waters there. Mark. Easy answer. Failed me. Easy answer. Really? So that's how – that's how Easy. So when you look at the total week, you go, okay, ah, 84 miles, That might that's roughly is somewhat close to what I intend to run or race. So we're going to accumulate the – we're going to get the most mileage total that week is the priority, no matter how it's done, no matter how it's broken up. I just feel like we – my brain keeps coming back to that. Like if I gave you a plan that came to 80 miles or 84 miles – You'd probably be like, well, the 84 miles then. There's like, you found your sweet spot. You keep yeah. coming back to that. So I'm, I'm, I'm just, okay. I'm clarifying more than muddying. I was hoping to muddy, but I will. Yeah, no, it's just like, um, it's funny because like, that's actually how I started coaching. Um, I coached my mom and, and it was funny cause she was running with this running group. And when she showed me her workouts, she's like, look, I'm doing all the workouts. Like I, I need to qualify for Boston. And she's like, this is just, I don't know why I'm not able to hit the time. And then I looked at her workouts and I'm like, okay, you guys are doing like an 18 mile long run. And then the whole week you're doing like three to four miles. And she's like, yeah. And then I'm like, okay. And then, then you're going to do a 20 mile long run. And she's like, yeah. And then, and then you're going to come back with like three to four miles every single day again. And she's like, yeah. And I'm like, this is terrible. Like you would get more benefit having your miles consistent and your long run, not as big. So that's the first thing I did for her. And immediately, you know, she started getting better. She started noticing her times were getting faster. She started running better. And then, uh, she went out and did her, uh, LA marathon and, and, 
hit a good time. She, you know, sub four minute, four hour, uh, uh, marathon. She had, I think three fifty two, and you know, she was not young at the time, but it, it was like, it was a good, it was just, you know, an understanding that like, you're not going to get anything out of three to four miles a gosh dang day. If you're trying to qualify for Boston, it's like, you need to put in time getting aerobically fit and understanding that three to four miles was basically no money in the bank. And then that, that 20 mile or 16 mile long run that she was doing, it was like, that was not even, you know, that, that was her only, only deposit the whole week. So I was like, you need to make more deposits. You need to get it going. And then when she did that, she, she qualified and she was like, Oh wow, that was, that was a lot better than having to do that one big effort that one day. And I was like, yeah, it's just like, you know, just, spacing it out kind of eliminating her big long run and um yeah i like i look at that like you know the history of training you know and where, where that long big long run came from and i was like that was a a book that was written just to you know get people to finish a marathon not perform a marathon it's just to finish and i'm like if that is your goal to finish a marathon then yeah, maybe, maybe that plan would, but even then I was like, ah, that plan's kind of, it doesn't really, it's not great, <laughs> but performing is totally different thing. So as an ultra runner, then if you're trying to modulate the mileage as evenly as possible, does that remove the case for a lot of quality in there? Because that necessitates more recovery days. Do you, do you just stick mostly at your ultra race pace rather than doing more i mean do you it sounds like you still hit a tempo run per week do you do what else do you do in there in order to keep uh any of those other systems touched upon yeah so i'll do a tempo run and i'll do like a what 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 i explained to you guys the last time we were on the podcast was just like a mix workout so anything mm -hmm. um 90 seconds or more in in terms of uh intensity i usually fluctuate around 800s or 1000 meter repeats or something like that but yeah, those are, those are like, um, those are my two workouts that I do in the week. And I'll, I'll start, um, I'll, I'll do like, um, in the tempo, I'll, I'll try to get to five minute pace as close as possible. And then in the mixed workout, um, I'll usually get down to like, you know, uh, somewhere around like two twenties or something like that. So four forty pace or something like that. Yeah. And you do just enough of it to to keep you feeling fast, but not so much that you can't go 10 again tomorrow. Yeah. Like it's just enough to like, oh, okay, I got this. I got the stimulus. I got, I got what I wanted. Um, just to keep my legs turned over, keep my speed up and then, um, you know, get that, get the recovery day the next day and kind of feel like it's not killing me and, and, and kind of mm -hmm. bringing it in, you know, feeling good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. How many, how many, you work down to five minute pace on your tempo days. How, how many miles are you going to spend or how much time are you going to spend at that pace? I'll usually do like, um, eight miles. So about like 40 minutes. Yeah. Yeah. And what would that equate to you percentage wise? So people can wrap their head around what kind of effort that is to you. Five minute pace. What, what is that to you? That's like a seven, like a seven. Yeah. Seven, 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 yeah. seven or eight, like around there. How long could you hold five minute pace for gun to your head in a race? Uh, uh, I, I've done a half marathon at, at that pace, but I haven't done that in a long time. So, um, 
So it's over an hour. Yeah, yeah. I could do that for like okay. uh, probably, yeah, about about an hour. About an hour and like change, yeah. Hour. Okay, so you're, you're tempoing at our race pace. Yeah. Okay, yeah. I appreciate the clarification. Yeah. <laughs> One more scenario, and then I want to move on from these specifics and um, talk about World Toughest Mudder itself and then um, what you had going sure. on recently. Yeah. But Okay, because we're talking speed training. We got into speed training a good bit on Mark's first episode, for those of you listening. So if you want his his ideas on all of that, we dove into that for like a good half hour to end that episode, I remember. So we're not going to do that today, but... I'm just going to find the episode number so people can find it. Yeah, do that so people can... Yeah, do that, because I don't remember how long ago it was. Um, okay, so you talk about keeping quality in your training, um, which makes sense. I, we're in strong agreement there. I, I'm still... You know, I think my my verdict is definitely still out. I err more on getting some time on feet. Um, oh, for my a long athletes. time ago. How long ago was it? Guess which episode? All right, so we are on episode three ten. Okay. Yeah, I was like, you guys are on the three hundred range. Yeah, I was like, where are we at? What was Mark? I don't know. Mark, you tell us. One something? I don't know. <laughs> it says thirty four. No. Now. That could be 68. Our 34th Friday interview episode. Probably. Probably. Worst, ca- best, worst case scenario is 68th episode. Wow. 68. That was longer ago than I thought. Yeesh. Okay, what I want to ask you, unless Bracken, do you want to do some more digging there? I don't know. This is it's being funky. Just continue. <laughs> okay. The two scenarios then are this. Because you, you, you said you run most of your runs at, let's say, ultra race pace, for example. A lot of your running's done at ultra race pace. Mm-hmm. Easy runs, recovery runs, ultra race pace. Then you do some quicker stuff. Um, so I want to know how much you value just running at race pace if you're going to train for ultra specifically. So what I'm asking is you get two speed workouts each week, over speed training, tempo or threshold runs, whatever you want to call it. But all your runs outside of that now are like 730 pace or slower. Or... You get no speed workout. You get no threshold work, but all your runs are in your 6.15 to 6.30 ultra pace. Oh, what are you man. choosing? Uh-huh. No, this mud- this muddy the water. Yeah, yeah. Oh, what do, what, I want to know how much you value uh. each. I want to hear you hem and ho over this. So basically two speed workouts, but everything else is super slow, even your long runs. Unless your long run is including your speed workout, then you could get away with it, I suppose. Or, uh, yeah, everything's that's stuck at 6.15 to 6.30 pace. Oof. Dang, that's a good one uh you hate both options i understand but yeah yeah because like i no i i i like the idea of you know because when i do my easy runs i like to do them at like ultra race pace but i do value the fact that i have faster running in there because that allows my legs to you know turn over a little bit and feel like that pace is easy mm-hmm. so that's that's the thing it's like the reason why i get down to five minute pace in those tempo runs is because you know i want to make that other pace feel really really easy oh man well i think you're hemming and hoeing answers you think it's both important and that's why you do both i think that's 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 the answer yeah yeah that's why they're very important it's like you need those speed workouts because if you don't have them well, now that 620 and 630 pace kind of feels difficult. <laughs> You're like, oh, 
it, it never it never gets easier. It's like it'll always feel hard. Like when I first start my bass phase and I'm going into it and I'm like, all right, here we go. Like I'm going into it. I, the pace starts off slow because like, you know, running's hard. So <laughs> I'll, I'll start off with like 640 pace or 650 pace on my easy runs. But then once I start doing my tempos and my speed workouts, all of a sudden my, my easy runs start to drift into getting closer to six flats. And I'm like, that's, that's what I like because like, you know, it, the fact that I went faster allows my body to coordinate a little bit more so that it makes the easy runs feel easier. So, ah, that's, ah, man, it's depressing hearing you talk. <laughs> it's depressing. <laughs> uh, yeah. I hate your paces. Oh. <laughs> It's awesome. I mean, it's impressive. It's super impressive and it's depressing. Yeah. I think I, I, I'd be really good in like a uh, tour to France kind of setting for running. <laughs> Cause like my training is actually pretty good. Like I, I put in good quality every single day. So I'm like, Oh, I wish we had a tour to France of running. That'd be awesome. Cause then I think I'd be really good at that because like just coming back every single day, running fast, fast, fast. I'm like, Oh, that's, that's my bread and butter. I could do that all the time. So you should find a stage race. I know. That's, I, I'm like, I'm like, honestly, I think that would be my best event because like, I'm like, yeah, I can go for a really long time. And yet when it comes to like, oh, it's time to go fast, I could still throw down like really fast times and, you know, kind of get good stage times and stuff like that. Um, yeah, I guess I would take the easy runs with the intensity then. Yeah, grudgingly take that mm -hmm. that option, but yeah, that's what I would take because I I think intervals and and that that higher level of speed work and tempos is more important. But that, I, that's how much I value that. Yeah, I would not just do same pace the whole way. That's like uh, I don't I don't think the runs would get better. I think it would just be like you'd be at six forty, or for me I'd be at six forty, and it wouldn't get any easier it would just feel that same thing and i wouldn't get any fitter i need to put in those bouts of intensity so if i have to sacrifice it would be that yeah that's what i'd pick too back can you be the same yeah yeah i'm very much a uh even if i'm capable of running let's say aerobic threshold at whatever pace that is there's a difference between running at aerobic threshold with 152 heart rate and running there feeling good with a 152 heart rate. Right. Even if it's eliciting the same response internally, if I'm not doing something quick, my stride feels cumbersome. And if I'm doing quick work, my stride feels short and clipped and relaxed trying to run aerobic yeah. threshold or long and flowy, whatever I want it to be, because you have the option rather than feeling like you're fighting for speed, it comes to you. It's ne it's necessary for me. Absolutely necessary. Well, we have, we're in agreement on that for sure. So let's talk yeah. about, we've hinted at your toughest mutter. We haven't really dove into what you did. So you went, what, 120 miles. So all this led up to world's toughest mutter. And the reason this conversation came up, guys, is because of Mark. Obviously, he was urinating blood and not feeling well. So he was unable to go back and defend his title this fall in world's toughest mutter, which had to be really tough for you, I assume, to pull out on that. But let's talk about your win first. So you went to World Service Mudder. You ran 120 miles in 24 hours or 25? Uh, 115. Or 115. 115, yeah. And that was a record, if yeah. I'm not mistaken. So you ran the furthest anybody had. Um, just talk about it. Just talk about that day 
that full 24 hour day in particular. And then I, what I want to know is what, what were you thinking going into this year? Like watching and seeing the men's results and where you thought you would end up and all of that. Like, let's talk about last year and then your thoughts on this year. If you want to talk a little smack, I won't stop you, you know, in regards to this year, but no, I'm definitely going to talk some, some snack. Yeah, you are. (laughs) All right. Yeah. It's just like, okay. So the year I did it, um, I was going into it kind of thinking like, I don't know what I am capable of. I don't know how the event's going to like go. I just know um, that I talked to like, I I think when I talked to Rhea, she gave me the most insight into the event. And she basically let me know like, Hey, like they don't open obstacles like all at once. It kind of rolls in with obstacles. So your faster laps are going to be your first laps. So take advantage of that kind of format. And I was like, oh, that makes sense. When she took out, when I saw her do it, I was actually there when she set her her record. I was like, she did take out really fast. She was right on the men. And I was like, that was really risky. But at the same time, it was more of a calculated risk. It was like, I'm trying to get as much distance as possible while it's available. So I was like, okay, that makes sense to me. So I went out and I did the exact same thing. I kind of, I was, I think the second place person that came across in the first lap. And then I just kept that rhythm and just kept getting those um, first miles, um, the first loops as quickly as I could, because I knew once they started opening up certain obstacles that they were going to take a long time. So, you know, I just kept that mentality of like, you got to attack at start. And then as the obstacles open up, you just got to manage them. And so I kind of did that strategy and it was, uh, it, it worked out pretty well. I mean, I, actually for the day, I didn't actually feel good. I started out and I was like, man, I feel like garbage today. <laughs> and I was like, I don't feel great. I, I feel like I'm, I'm tired. I don't feel good. It, it, I, I feel groggy, especially starting at like 12 o'clock. Um, it was a weird time to start a race. So when I took off, I was like, okay, I don't feel the best. And then I didn't start feeling like, oh, wow, I feel I feel decent today um, until like somewhere around like 10 o'clock at night. And once I started getting to that portion, I was like, wow, like I'm 10 hours into this race and I'm actually feeling like this is not bad. Like, I feel pretty good. Like, I feel I feel good. So I just kept going and, and just kind of staying right when everybody else starts feeling like garbage, you start feeling good. Is that? Yeah. So I, I kind of like turned that corner and then my body started feeling kind of relaxed and kind of comfortable in that effort and just kind of kept it going. So I usually need about a good 10 hour warm up myself so I can understand. Good. <laughs> Takes me yeah, yeah. Say 10, 10 to 12 hours, my sweet spot and warm up. Yeah. So what started to go on you first? Did anything start to go on you? You said your calves started pinching. My calves. Bit. Yeah. Going up the steep hill, because the, the hills were actually, like, super steep. Like, we, it was like, you know, there's some hills that were, they weren't very long, but they were just super steep. So you're looking at, like, like 50 to 60 foot, like, little little bumps that you had just had to go up. And it was like, oh, man, like, after, like, I think it was, like, a, at midnight, I started to feel it in my calf where I was like, oh, wow, like, like that was not comfortable. I felt a little pinch and, um, doing the ultra virus race, I kind of realized like 
it's okay. Just slow it down. Just back it off a little bit. And if you do that, then you can keep going. So instead of keeping my pace, I backed it off a little bit and started to feel better. And every single time I got up a sharp little hill, I would just walk up it. And then once I started doing that, my body started to recover and kind of calm down and just relax and feel better. So then um, I think the biggest key key takeaway from that race was the fact that my nutrition was on point. Like I, I, I really think that my nutrition was the all-star of the weekend because when I finished the race itself, I felt like I could keep going for another like 12 hours. Like I did not feel like someone needed to scrape me off the the course and, and take me to the medic or whatever. I finished that race and I was like, like energy wise, like, like, um, uh, nervous system wise. Like I was very cognitive. I was responsive. I, I had, um, I was feeling great. The thing that was actually feeling the worst was like my hamstring, my hamstring felt like shit, (laughs) but everything else like energy wise, I felt really, really good. So I took it that my nutrition was so dialed in and so calculated and it was, it it was orchestrated so well by my pit crew that I could have kept going for another 12 hours, um, energy wise. What works for you? Um, or is you, you keep that no, I mean, I, I, I just like, you know, I was taking lots of goose and I was doing lots of electrolytes, lots of water. And, uh, what worked for me was like, um, uh, uh, chicken breast and, um, this uh, Mexican dish, uh, arroz con leche, which is just rice with, uh, milk, cinnamon and sugar. And, oh, but instead of milk, we used almond milk. So it was a little better on my, 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 my tummy. <laughs> and um that was it and sometimes i i did a cup of noodle and then we had a taco party and just kind of kept it light kept it fun and not really taking it too seriously because we knew anything can go wrong especially in an obstacle course race it's like you you can you can have a perfect race going and then all of a sudden you twist your ankle on a on a freaking rock or something like that and then you're done you know it's like you just finished right there so the whole time we were just on you know we just kind of treated it like hey you know, things are going good now. We don't know if they're going to go good for the whole race, but we'll just keep having fun and just keep going. And then, um, yeah, that kind of worked out. Yeah. What was the vibe at that taco party? Oh, it was awesome, man. We, we, we had, uh, we played uh suavemente and, uh, <laughs> we had, uh, Ooh, carne, carne besame. Yeah. <laughs> I know that song. Yes. Yes. Be Spanish. Bracken. That's a very impressive Kirk. That's that time down in Punta Cana or wherever you were. <laughs> Somehow I ended up with Elvis Christel. What's this, his name? Um, I ended up with a CD in my house somehow. Suavemente was on that, the the remix. Anyways, um, okay, something I got to ask then. In the ultravirus race, you had like four IPAs. I don't know how it happened, but it did. Yeah. Did you end up doing that at WTM? Were you like, yeah, you know what? An IPA is just the sweet spot. And do you think there's anything to that? Yeah, um, it, it was funny um, at, the, at at the ultravirus. Um, like, I we we got a, just a bunch of food, and I was like, "Oh, okay, I got to make my pick of what I want." And I noticed that like 
when you're running, you're eating all these goos. And the last thing you want when you get to this thing is like more sweet stuff. <laughs> so I was like, uh, every time I got back to the five mile point, I was like, I was craving the pickles and something else. I was like, oh man, I need something like savory. I can't eat anything sweet anymore. And that's when um, Natalie's dad was like, hey, you want a beer? And he gave me a uh, Sierra Nevada torpedo. And that that's pretty hoppy. And so it's a West Coast IPA. I drank that and I was like, oh my God, it went down so smooth. It was, it tasted so good. I was like, yeah, let's just keep those coming. Like that, that feels so good. And that kind of balanced out the sweetness of like the, the goose that I was eating. So just having something a little bit more hoppy, a little bit more like dry, it felt like, oh, it's so refreshing. So yeah, I, I took a couple of those to um, World's Toughest and yeah, that was that was great. <laughs> Worked out well. Do you try to flatten it out a little bit first or do you just deal with the carbonation and everything? No, the carbonation actually like settles my stomach a little bit. It does for you. Yeah, because like, like there's some people that have like Coca-Cola or 7-Up or something like that. And I'm like, mm -hmm. oh yeah, I got my carbonation from beer. So that kind of works it out. And I'm like, oh, it makes me feel good. So I'm like, oh, I'll just keep it like this. Yeah. Does it affect you, the alcohol ever with, or are you staying hydrated enough and lap times are long enough that's never really? No, I, 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 I can, I can drink a lot of beer and not feel a lot of the effects. So <laughs> for me, it's kind of like, oh, it's like I can process it really quickly. So I'm, I'm probably peeing it out like in, in the lap or something like that. I, and then because I'm drinking so much fluids that it just mixes mm -hmm. through and it's just like, I, I don't feel anything from the alcohol. It would be nice if I did. You hear like, <laughs> uh, you know, ultra guys or girls will carry, you know, a shot or two of fireball just in case things get bad and they need a, but I'd never heard the, the beer thing. Cause that just doesn't seem like it'd sit well, but for you it works. So that's just interesting. Um, let's talk a little smack then. So, um, you, uh, weren't able to race this year and I know you were training and you're planning on going, what do you think would have happened this year if you were out there on a very different course? Uh, the course was fast, lightning fast. Um, look at the averages of like the first 10 athletes that crossed. And I think they all beat me in my first lap and I was moving. So just, and even, I think even, I think some of the girls ran as fast as I did in my first lap. So just looking at that, I was like, okay, this course is really, really fast. Um, the only challenge that I saw in that course, um, some of the obstacles were a little bit tougher and also, uh, the cold. So management of the cold was a big component this year. Um, but in terms of if I would have had correct, like management with the cold, and if I would have ran the same way I did at, at Laughlin, I think I would have hit 125, like no doubt, but that's just looking at the paces and looking at how, how that's managed and, and how, what people did. I think there was a lot of guys that took out way too slow and a lot of guys that took out way too fast. So I would have been like right in that sweet spot and just kept hitting that same pace over and over and over. So I just think that like what I saw from some athletes were like, 
some people were like, I'm not going to take a watch and I'm not going to do this. And I'm like, and I'm like, Oh my God, that sounds like the dumbest idea I've ever heard of in my gosh damn life. It's like nutrition is the most important component in this race. Being fueled is the most important component of this race. Not the distance, not, not the, not the time frame. It's all about nutrition. It's all about nutrition. And these guys that are not carrying a watch, I was like, okay, you could just scratch them off the list. They're not going anywhere. <laughs> I was like, that just right off the list. Boom. They're not going to do shit in this race <laughs> because I'm like timing your nutrition is the most important component. I, I was timing my goose. I was timing my uh, intake of, of electrolytes. All that stuff was based on time. Not how I felt. Not like, oh yeah, I don't, I don't feel like I need it right now. I was like, fuck that. I'm going to take it on a time schedule. Because I want to make sure I have the right amount of calories that I'm burning, given this gosh damn race. And for the, all those guys that didn't take a watch, uh, maybe that's why you shit the bed. Like, <laughs> take a watch, time your time your nutrition, and do it right. Like, it didn't make any sense to me that like people were not timing their nutrition properly. So when I heard that, I was like, oh my god, that was that was ridiculous. So. That that was my shit talking. I was like, dude, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard of in my life. I don't care what kind of woo-woo you're going for. It's like you're not going to feel when you should take a goo. You should know when to do that based on science, based on calorie caloric deficits of how fast you're moving, how much you weigh, what your your calorie burn is, and then figure out how much calories you need at X amount of time. And you take those calories in. It, it To me, it was like, that that seems like the best strategy and to not have a timed based caloric intake was probably the dumbest thing i've ever seen um you know when it came to the cold i think a lot of people managed the cold um a little too late so a lot of people were putting on their stuff a little too late a lot of people were like not doing good cold management so by the time they got into the nighttime it was like they were already freezing and then they put on their suits and it was like, you got to do, you got to plan for a, a lap ahead, essentially. So it's like, if you're starting to feel cold, you need to start layering up and figuring out how you're going to take care of that. Not to, thinking, oh, I'm, I'm cold right now, but I'm going to still go out in the same gear. It's like, that's, that's a recipe for disaster. So I think that was, I think that was the biggest factor. And the, the fact that, I mean, the women still hit good amount of miles. Um, I, I just think the men just failed on on their on their cold management, and and they really didn't like manage that cold effectively. And if they would have, they probably would have broke my record because I, I I thought it was gone. Like when I it was like, you know, eight o'clock at night, I was like, oh my god, like my record's gonna get shattered. It should be shattered. Like it's gonna get shattered. Like it's gonna they're gonna get one hundred twenty five, no problem. And, you know, I was just kind of like, oh, that sucks. <laughs> like not being able to defend, you know, the record. And I was like, and, I, and, and planning on being there. And I was like, man, that, that sucks. I think it's gone. And then it didn't go. And I was like, oh, wow, that took a turn. And it mostly had to do with, you know, like I said, poor nutrition plan uh, and poor uh, uh, cold management. So those two factors were huge. And, you know, a lot of people didn't really plan them out properly. And it ended up biting a lot of guys in the butt. Of course, it was fast right up until it wasn't. Yeah. <laughs> they, uh, they opened some obstacles that really shook things up. More water, 
cold, cold drop in temperature, steeper than people thought. It went from a fast course to a fast course that wasn't accessible to a lot of people real soon. And that, that was an interesting setup. So you, you obviously had a much different course setup, temperature, water, all of that in Laughlin. Yeah. How would you have adapted having watched it? Do you think you would have been caught with your pants down a little bit as well? Would those middle hours have been a real grind? Or do you feel you were prepared to break your own record there? I think the initial start would have went really well because I would have been aggressive a lot more than a lot of the other guys. Um, like, you know, just saying like, you know, the top three guys didn't really get out that quickly. Um, I would have been in, um, I would have been out pretty quick uh, on that. And then, you know, I know there's a lot of guys that were going way too fast, but <laughs> I think I would have been out pretty quick. Mm-hmm. Um, and that would have put me in a situation, um, you know, having to deal with the cold and the cold, you know, I, it sucks because it's like, you know, it, it, it's definitely Monday morning, Monday morning quarterbacking this one. <laughs> Cause it's like, Oh yeah, I would have been fine, <laughs> but not really knowing the elements um, that you're faced with and, and not really understanding, you know, what those guys were doing, like what, what they were facing. So I don't know if I would have been, you know, I would have handled the cold uh, better than they would have. Um, I, I think I learned a lot in 2019 when I did Tahoe because like I was the worst cold I've ever been in when it come when it came to like snow running and all that crap and having, you know, just my situation, I was like, Oh my God, it was like, it, it, it turned my legs blue. <laughs> like my legs were freaking blue and my body was so cold. And I was just like, I can experience hypothermia waiting for the medical team to come get me up on the top of the mountain, or I could just run down. And I was like, screw it. I'm just going to stay on course and I'm just going to run down. I forgot about, oh yeah, we got to do a lake swim too. (laughs) Did that. And then when I finished that, I was like, oh my God, I am even more cold. And, but I learned something that day. I remember watching you on the, sorry to interrupt. I remember watching you on the Herkhoist that day, which was the last obstacle before the finish line. And you had just taken, I don't know if, we had a good, you, you were out front in West Virginia and you faded late, I think. And maybe I nipped you towards the end, but at Tahoe, fast forward, you were having a great race until you weren't. You were up in the top 10 and running well. And then you were so shattered coming through that I'm the Herquist wasn't heavy by any means. And I've never seen you struggle with it, really. And I remember you were hanging on that thing for like minutes. The whole crowd was cheering for you. Like you were so broken that that Herquist, which wasn't the heaviest we've experienced, like you couldn't even get your body to function, if I recall. Like you were really yeah. in survival mode. So you knew what it was like to feel cold. Yeah. And I, I realized that day that like my body could keep moving while it's cold, just not very fast. And I was like, I can still move. And after the race, you know, I really like, I wanted to push myself and I wanted to make sure I did it mentally and all this stuff. And in the end, I was just kind of like, ah. like <laughs> I did it. It's like, I went through something really tough, but it, it's like I was saying earlier, it's like, it, it, it just understanding that it was a challenge. It was a challenge and I, I got through it and yeah, my legs stopped functioning. So I, it was hard for me to pull the hardcore down because like my legs just wouldn't give me anything. And I was like, Oh dang, like I can run, but I just can't do anything dynamic with my legs. So like in this situation with world's toughest, it's like, Oh, um, you know, would I have been able to execute obstacles as effectively with 
cold legs and a cold body and, and all that other stuff. So those, all those factors come into play. So like, I would like to think that I would have been able to handle it, but um, you know, I don't know. Like, it's still something that's like not, not something that I've got a lot of experience in and a lot of, um, you know, confidence in. I have an idea of what I want to do and I have, I have an idea of what I would have done clothing wise and execution and all that stuff. But, um, you know, still it's not like, it's not like I'm like, Oh yeah, I could write a book about this shit. Cause like <laughs> running in cold is still like, uh, still a little bit, um, a, a little bit of, a you know, a little bit of fear involved in that. Yeah. What scares me is people I know and respect in that field are just getting their feeling back in some of their feelings. Oh yeah. Yeah. I've had a race where it was so cold breaking ice on a pond across that I couldn't tell that I wasn't on stumps coming out of it. Like I couldn't feel my feet hitting the ground. I felt like it was just my ankles, but you could run if you could trust that feeling. And I've had races where my legs are shivering and shaking and you can move, but the thought of losing your hands to the point of they're not accessible during an OCR race, that scares me. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's... well, you're going to find out in Texas. Yeah. Texas will be fun. I think that's a good course and it looks like it's like rolling Hills kind of like stuff I like. So, yeah. And I've raced in Texas a couple of times and I'm like, Oh, I like that that style. So I, I don't mind it as long as you don't mind cactuses. It's okay. <laughs> um, we got about five minutes here. So I want to get to two quick things. One, can you just, just the quick conversation you gave me about the supplements and causing the blood in your urine, just for like a PSA, what, what would be your advice there? Like what actually is happening? So your body can't process the amount of minerals and vitamin, like you were taking too much in a sense where your body couldn't really filter through it. And over time, it built up and built up to a point where your body just couldn't really manage it. And so then that caused issues in your kidneys, which caused the bleed blood in your urine. Is that what happened? And like the fix was simply simple as like stop taking a bunch of stuff. Like anything I'm missing there? Yeah, it's it's I mean, this is all like theoretical base because there's no scientific study that actually that that has recreated this or that has like. effectively like said that this this is what's going on and this is what the cause is. But um, from what we can figure uh, (laughs) um, like an overconsumption of vitamins. Right. Um, And, and for me, it's, there's a receptor that your body clings onto. So like your body is this receptor picks up the, um, you know, it can either pick up. Yeah. Okay. So you're in your kidney. Right. So, yeah, your body is able to break down um, one of like these several minerals, right? So you're, it's essentially like if your body is more prone to picking up iron, it'll pick up iron or if it'll pick up zinc or calcium. And I think there's another one, but it's like these minerals. Oh, copper. So these are the things that like basically this enzyme goes after, right? And it'll start, start, start to, um, it'll start to process. Right. But if you have an overabundance of all of these, or I had an overabundance of three of these, um, then it will just, it, you're, if you're not processing it, it's just going through the kidneys now. And essentially because it's a mineral, it's like, it's caking on 
to the kidney. And when it cakes on, and now it's going to affect the body a little bit negatively because as you start to exercise, you're going to have more blood flow going through the kidney. And because the kidney's job is to filter out the, the blood and send it through the body, there's a huge demand on your blood because, well, you want oxygen to the muscles at this point because you're running hard or you're doing some type of exercise. So as the blood's flowing through the kidneys, it's picking up on, it's hitting these minerals, right? And instead of going through the body, it's hitting these minerals and now it's going through your urinary tract. So now you're starting to, hmm. you're starting to pee blood because the minerals, these excess minerals are being caked on and you're, you're, you got blood flowing through and it's just teetering off instead of going through the body, you, now you're peeing it out. So that's pretty much what was occurring. Um, is it like it would be backed up in like the, the renal cavities and so there'd be some, some debris in the way and it would sort of back up and overflow ends up going out to your bladder and yeah, it doesn't sound like there was pain involved. It was just like it can't go through the kidneys as fast or as efficiently as it wants. So then it's like, well, where can this fluid or liquid go? And it shoots it down into the bladder, and that's how you end up peeing. Is that correct? Yes, I mean, to, like, I'm sure a doctor. From will what I can figure, tell us we're yeah, idiots, yeah, I'm not a doctor, and 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 this hasn't been a study. So, <laughs> but it's kind of weird because like they would expect, and that's what the doctors were saying. Like they they would expect kidney stones to materialize at this point but it, they didn't so it was kind of odd um that kidney stones did not materialize so they were like it's it's just weird that you didn't have any kidney stones and they were like is it's just odd how your body kind of processed this and you know kind of got you know it, it was filtering blood like that and that's just you know essentially they considered it a benign condition but you know my um I had one doctor tell me that it was probably a disease and the disease was pretty serious and it was scary as all heck. So <laughs> it was, uh, it was very interesting, but, um, I think the biggest takeaway was, um, when I was running, I was, I was experiencing fatigue in the, my muscles, like a soreness almost, um, while I was running. So when I did a hard run, it would, it would feel like my body was going through a level of fatigue that I would usually experience like, um, you know, after a run or like post run where it's like the next day you're like, Oh, I'm sore. I feel sore, but I was feeling that as I was running. And then on easy runs, like I just felt like I wasn't getting enough oxygen to my muscles. And it felt like I was getting I, it, an easy run kind of felt anaerobic oddly. And it, I, I think it was because I wasn't getting enough blood and, and oxygen to my muscles. So it was feeling really odd. And essentially, I was feeling like this um, all the way in like August. So from August all the way through September, I was off. Like I was not feeling good. I was like, I don't know what's going on. I was still hitting good, decent times, but my body was not clicking whatsoever. And I was like, dang, this is such a weird feeling that I'm having. And I started getting nervous for the world's toughest because I was doing 18 mile runs feeling like shit, like not feeling great. And then doing like a 10 mile run feeling like, wow, like, I don't know if I could do another 10 miles today. Like that was really weird. So 
like that level of fatigue, just, you know, one day I was doing a, a nice, easy, uh, a long run, like a 15 mile long run. I got to mile eight and just started peeing blood. And I was like, wow, that came out of nowhere. Like, I don't know what the heck's going on. Started going to the doctor and doing that whole thing. And that was a month worth of just, we don't know. They did every test they can possibly think of. I did CT scans. They did um, uh, cystoscopies, which is, uh, they stick a nice, nice little camera through the, uh, the old, uh, you know. <laughs> urethra. Urethra. So, yeah, that was not fun. Uh, I don't suggest doing that. <laughs> mm. And um, yeah, just just everything they could do to try to figure out what was going on. They thought I had bladder slap because it's typical of ultra runners that don't hydrate enough and stuff like that. And yeah, I, everything was cleared. Every 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 test I did was cleared, cleared, cleared. But um, just kind of realized that um, it was, um, you know, can just a benign condition that was kind of brought on from overconsumption of vitamins and it it mostly became it became a problem because i started taking more zinc and that was because i i had gotten covid and um it was prior prior to right yeah right when i got covid i was like oh i want to increase my immune system i i better take more zinc and you know this is a psa for for people to make sure you cross check your vitamins. Cause like my multivitamin had too much zinc already. And then I took extra zinc on top of that. And that was the over an abundance of zinc and calcium and, um, and iron and all like those things, just all of that, just, it was, it just culminated to a bad effect. So, yeah. So that was it. Yeah. <laughs> I could spend forever on that. And I don't mean to cannibalize this conversation, but um, the last thing I wanted to ask Bracken, and if you want to stay on and ask anything more, of course, but is just, we want to know what's going on in 2023 for you. Mm -hmm. Well, 2023, I was supposed to get ready for um, Black Canyon, but that was postponed because of my calf issue thing. So now I'm, I'm just kind of getting ready for um, the new Spartan Cross thing. Um, which is interesting. I think, uh, it's, it's, you know, just a different format. Um, it's kind of like, uh, I realized what my weakness was as, as a Spartan athlete. And essentially it is like technical running. Like that is my biggest weakness, like technical running and mountain running. Like those are my, um, and mostly downhill running. So it's downhill running and technical running are my biggest weaknesses. And it's like, it's huge. Like those are my, the, those are my, like, I am like, I'm in the field. I'm probably ranked 20th <laughs> in those, in those aspects. But in a lot of the other aspects, I'm, um, you know, I'm a lot faster. I could do this. I can do that. And it's like, so looking at that, I was like, wow, if we go to this Spartan cross situation, there's less opportunity for those elements to be utilized. So for me, it's kind of like, oh, like now we're really focusing on speed, quickness, like ability to do obstacles, that kind of stuff. And I'm like, that's, that's kind of where I'm really good at. So um, I got excited about it and I was like, hey, this could be, this could be fun. This could be interesting. So kind of seeing how that, that progresses and, and getting into that, that series um, is where I'm focusing on right now because I'm not going to be able to do uh, Black Canyon. So. Yeah, it's going to be an interesting series. The whole sport's been flipped upside down, and it'll be just in, 
We don't even we haven't even done one. We don't even know like how they're going to stack it. Are we going to run 600 meters in between one obstacle or 110 between all of them? It's uh it's just wide up and just up in the air, who knows. Yeah, my my dream is that they kind of take a format where, you know, we do the first 1k and after that they kind of have interviews with some key people in that race, you know, and then they do the next race and then they have interviews and then they do the next 1k you know the next round and then they have interviews after and then kind of like um you know like wwe where it's like oh yeah like what's gonna like hey well how do you think that went oh man that was great i thought it was awesome it's like i'm gonna put somebody in the dirt it's like you know it's just like getting that engagement with the athletes and the crowd um, I think it's something that we lost with the NBC interviews. Like, like when we saw the NBC races, like they used to do like interviews, like mid race of the top three athletes or something. And I'm like, they lost that. And I, I think it was actually really interesting is an interesting component to have just like, Oh yeah, this is like the top three people like reflecting on the race itself and kind of talking about like important, like occurrences or important sections of the race. It's like, Oh man, like we don't have that anymore. Now we just kind of do it like, all right, it's a live feed. Here we go. And then, all right, we're all done. Like no interviews after nothing like to talk about what happened or, you know, what's going on in the race or anything like that. I'm like, Oh man, that's like, that was kind of like a, that, I think that's what drew people in, which was like, Oh, Hey, let's talk about this and, you know, and, and do it in a, in a different formal setting and we'll play this clip. Like, during the race and it'll be a lot more engagement for people but yeah so i think that i hope i'm hoping that they do that i think that'd be fun <laughs> mark thank you so much yeah thanks for having me appreciate it guys that was a good conversation mark yeah i get you twice in two weeks i'm i'm very spoiled <laughs> hopefully i get to see you in person soon yeah what, what are you doing um are you doing any events or oh, you got high rocks what else you got you gonna do this spartan cross we'll see i don't know invite only we got to see if we get an invite <laughs> oh come on you can get in cliffhanger all right later guys